Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hello, Valley Point Church. It's nice to be able to speak with you today. My name is Ben Jones, and I'm one of the pastors at Valley Point Church. This is my first opportunity to be with you since we switched to our online gathering format. So welcome to Valley Point Church Online. My hope is that by the end of this message you feel encouraged and that you feel better equipped to handle whatever type of season that you find yourself in right now. You may be doing great. Life is good. Summer is here. You feel fine. And that's, that's wonderful. I have a takeaway for you today. Maybe you're just okay. You know, nothing significant is wrong. There's no big overwhelming situation that you're grappling with. However, you just find yourself in a funk. <laughs> Maybe it's emotionally or spiritually. Well, I have a takeaway for you today. And then perhaps you're in a low point. I mean, there's just, there's a major distraction or a concern in your life. Maybe it's relationally, professionally, physically, or mentally. You're, you're just not doing too good right now. Well, I have a takeaway for you today as well. As we find ourselves the beginning weeks of our summer teaching series entitled cliche-ish. You know, some people hate cliches. Some people like them. Some people say they hate them, and then they use them. I actually don't mind some of them. In fact, I like a lot of them. My favorite cliche, Nick Lachey. Well, we pretty much all know what a cliche is. However, what is cliche-ish? Now, the general approach that we're taking and most of the statements that we're going to cover throughout this series are Christian cliches. You know, things church people, us, say that can really sometimes even annoy people. Some of them may be true. Some may have pieces of truth in them, like, ah, that's, that's almost true. But they've lost their context within Scripture and may not always help when people need a little more from us than a repeated phrase that they can read on a meme somewhere. The cliche-ish phrase for today, and don't get mad at me, is this, God never gives you more than you can handle. Whoa, 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 slow down there. Now, don't be messing with my go-to phrase now. I like that one. Well, I actually do too. However, is this statement true? Can this idea be found within Scripture? See, these types of questions will serve as the filters I'm using today to determine the accuracy of this commonly used phrase or cliche. God never gives you more than you can handle. I want us to do a few things as we walk through our storyboard for today in today's message. So we're going to first look at the Scripture that this phrase is, is mostly pulled from, you know, because uh, there are some areas in, in the Bible that present ideas consistent with this phrase. But then I want us to take a look at an Old Testament historical account of a widely known occurrence 
This is in the early life of one of Israel's most famous and greatest kings. And lastly, we're going to ping pong back to our original scripture. We'll look at uh, trying to contextualize it and to figure out its meaning. So we'll use all of this information to summarize why our phrase for today is cliche-ish and then try to craft a new phrase that more accurately describes biblical teaching. All right, well, let's go. First, let's look at the scripture that today's phrase is mostly evolves from. So it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, and it reads this. The temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He has not allowed the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. So I could see the reason our phrase could be derived from this. You know, God is faithful. I'm not going to experience something that is totally unique to humankind. Others have also walked through it. And God will show me a way to endure it. Right? So therefore, God never gives you more than you can handle. But what comes into focus here, we take a closer look at Paul's perspective here. What is he talking about? And what does he really want to communicate as he writes this letter to a church of Christians in Corinth? So this is what we're going to come back to in just a few moments. But first, let's rewind our storyline way back, a long, long time before that scripture was ever written, when a man named David lived. So history reveals that David lived in the time frame of around 1000 BC. David eventually becomes one of Israel's greatest kings, and it's from his biological line that Jesus is born. But before all of that, however, David was a shepherd as a young man. His brothers were warriors, David was sent to deliver food to his brothers on the battlefront. So one day he hears about a Philistine warrior. His name was Goliath. Is this story starting to click for you a little bit? Yeah, so Goliath was this massive man who was notorious in his ability to fight and to kill mercilessly. He was so feared that the entire Israelite army would not attack knowing he was fighting with their enemy. Two armies are at a standoff, and every day, Scripture tells us, Goliath would come out and he would taunt Israel. He would make fun of them for being afraid of him. He would make fun of their God for being afraid of him. So David hears this. He he can't understand why somebody just doesn't end this guy. I mean, he is, after all, a man. However, Goliath's legend made him more than a mere man in their eyes, perhaps God himself was even afraid of Goliath. So David, he volunteers to go out and face him man to man. David is first mocked and written off because of his size and the fact that Goliath is this seasoned warrior and David has no battle experience at all. Then we hear this dialogue in scripture. And this is between David and the king of Israel. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, 
he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine. For he has defied the armies of the living God. David, he knew he was tough. David knew he could fight. I mean, David could scrap. David knew he had taken down some pretty notorious beasts. However, let's read the very next verse. David says, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David did not allow his success and pride to blind him from his limitations. See, he brings it back to God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. See, David's approach was to know his audience. Well, let me tell you some of the things that I have done to appeal to your human wisdom. See, I can fight. I'm stronger than I look. I'm not afraid of things that other people are afraid of. I'm just not. But let me also tell you why I have this confidence. And now we share some godly wisdom. It's through the Lord's power that I have succeeded and will succeed today. And we all know David goes out, knocks the giant to the ground with a stone, takes the giant's sword, and finishes him off gladiator style. David had godly wisdom and knew what Paul also knew. So let's hop back to our original scripture found in 1 Corinthians. The temptations in your life are no different from, the other, from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. God never gives you more than you can handle, right? Well, let's just consider this logically. So here's the phrase stated personally to me, and you can do this too. God will not give me more than I can handle. So under this phrase structure, if I can't handle something in life, whatever it might be, life situation, stress, an illness, a bad diagnosis, a tragic loss, a loss of a, of a child or a spouse, if I can't kick an addiction, or if I, I seem to never be able to resist a temptation that keeps tripping me up, if I can't handle my depression, my anxiety, if life just breaks me down, if I, if I can't handle something, and the phrase really only has two rational implications. First, I'm a weak Christian because I can't handle something God says I should be able to handle. So I'm either weak or God cannot be trusted because he said he would never give me more than I can handle, yet he did. So I'm either a weak Christian or God cannot be trusted to protect me. There's a danger in both of these implications I don't think it would be hard 
to con convince the majority of our audience or if not everyone listening that there are things that come at us in life that we just aren't created to bear. We just, we can't do it. We have human understanding. We have a limit to our mental capacity to control our emotions. We have a limit to understanding why things happen. No one's mind and body are meant or designed to carry the burdens of grief, depression, worry, relational collapses. We can't handle those things. So let's look at the first implication of this phrase. I'm a weak Christian. See, this is unproductive. There's really no means of measuring being a strong Christian. There's no definitive scale. There's no scriptural formula to define this is what a strong Christian is. Not to mention, of course I'm weak. I fail all the time. I disappoint myself all the time. But the real danger of this way of thinking is that it places the focus on me. What I can or what I cannot do. I can't handle this. I can handle this. God will never give me more than I could take, so I'm going to man up. I'm going I'm to woman up and get through this. So what is Paul referring to here? And what does he really want to communicate? See, the Christians in Corinth at this time, they were struggling. Many of them wanted to live as Paul had taught them. However, many Christians ended up living in ways that did not honor Christ. And they were justifying their wrong behaviors. The, the macro view of what was happening in Corinth at this time is that the Christians were divided. The main difference was that some thought it was okay to sin because Christ's death just covered it all anyways. So just live it up. We're free in Christ and he forgives us. I know none of us would be tempted to think that way. The others uh, took to the view that in order to honor Christ's sacrifice, Christians should avoid sinful behaviors. Out of respect and out of gratitude for what Christ had endured in order to forgive all sins. By the way, Paul sided with the latter, in case you were wondering. And the major areas that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians are sexual immorality, food offered to false gods and idols, orderly and unified worship gatherings, and most importantly, the necessary belief in the resurrection of Jesus. See, Christians were divided in all of these matters. Paul takes all of these complicated and controversial, controversial arguments, he, he addresses them practically, and then he points things back to where the focus needs to be. Paul wanted Christ followers to think of all areas of life through the lens of the gospel. This meant all of these arguments focused on the wrong thing. Everyone was concerned about my rights, my free will, my comfort, my beliefs, and my convictions. What no one was considering was other people's comfort. So going back to our opening scripture in 1 Corinthians, 
The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. See, Paul's advice in verse 13 is tied directly to the reality of temptation and sin that meet us every day. With regard to temptation and sin, Paul pointed out that we always have a choice. Engage in sin or run from it. The promise here is that God will always provide a way for us to run from sin. So Paul was talking about temptation, not suffering. So this was never intended to be a blanket statement about every life situation. It is dealing specifically with our choice to live selfishly, focused on ourselves, or godly, focused on others and on Christ. Here's a major point here. So when it comes to sin, we always have a choice. But with suffering, we don't always have a choice. We don't get to choose what comes into our lives. It would be great if we could. So God never gives you more than you can handle. The first implication of this cliche-ish phrase for us today, it's counterintuitive to how God created us. And if we can handle anything that comes our way, why do we need God at all? See, David realized that he was strong, and we're strong. God created us all to be strong and to be resilient and to be inspiring. We are made in his image after all. However, we were not created physically, mentally, or emotionally to be able to handle all of life's difficulties and struggles on our own. David was wise enough to recognize where his strength ended and where God's strength began. David had a giant to confront. His, in this particular instance, happened to be an actual giant. But David would later also face giant-sized struggles of emotional pain, of temptation, in relational breakdowns and failures. And he messed up big in life. Uh, pay attention to this because this might be what you need to hear today. It might just be what you need to hear today to encourage you. David, a spiritual champion, failed in life at times, big time. God did not choose to refer to David as weak because of his inability to handle what God allowed David to endure. God still referred to David as a man after God's own heart because David would always eventually turn the focus off of himself and back to God. Paul had the same godly wisdom and understanding. In fact, in a different letter to a different church, Paul writes this, he says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Get this, verse 13 is key. For I, do, I can do everything through 
Christ who gives me strength. God never gives you more than you can handle? Sure he does. So then under this phrase, we're only left with one other assumption. God cannot be trusted. And this is a whole other talk. In fact, Pastor Eric is going to talk more about this in a few weeks. So let's just assume for the sake of today's talk, the quick answer to this is yes, God can be trusted. So our cliche breaks down completely. So let's try and rewrite this phrase to be more accurate. And there would be many ways to do this, but remember this first. Very important. This is advice from Paul to Christians, those who had put their trust in Jesus alone to save them. So this entire letter is not meant to be relevant to everyone equally, but for Christ followers. So let's rephrase this to a more accurate representation of scriptural truth. And we could do that many ways. We could say, God will never allow temptation to be more than you can handle. You know, God never gives you more than he can handle. With God's help, you can handle anything. These phrases are true. However, they still feel a whole lot like cliches to me. And I don't think they're very helpful when you are actually walking through something tragic or daunting. My personal opinion is that there are no phrases that comfort in times of actual tragedy, when devastation occurs, when shocking and unexpected news arrives, that phone call that you'll never forget. When really hard things happen, what do we say? We say, I don't know what to say because we know words fall short. And we could sit here and we could come up with the most truth-filled, inspiring, spiritually based, the most epic and motivational phrase ever. It would still fall short when actual life at its hardest times occur. So if words fall short, then what? So I have some takeaways for each of those categories of individuals, those different seasons of life that we described at the beginning of today's talk. So takeaway number one is this. If times are good, be thankful. Good seasons in life, they're a blessing. So enjoy it. Soak it in. Don't worry about what might be in the future. The psalmist said this. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So be glad in it and thank God for his goodness. Lean into scripture and devote yourself to Christ. Takeaway number two, if times are just okay, take heart. Well, this has been a weird season for everyone. I feel it. I've heard from so many people that they feel it. You know, nothing's dramatically wrong. Things just feel off. Take heart. And know that first, you're not alone. Lean in spiritually. Chances are, if you consider your spiritual disciplines, things like prayer, reading scripture, giving generously to the church and to others, it's probably likely that those areas are lagging right now. 
Don't beat yourself up. Just jump back in. Lean into Christ and allow him to help you get yourself spiritually healthy. If you're doing all of those things well, just keep going. Just keep going. I watched a movie with my kids last week, Finding Nemo. (laughs) One of the great messages in that movie is the advice to just keep swimming. The Lord is with you and he will see you through. So take heart and just keep swimming. Thirdly, if times are bad, be still. I know that might sound impractical and even impossible to do. But when human words fail, I turn to inspired words. And Psalm 46 is my favorite psalm. The psalmist creates a visual of just complete chaos and and turmoil. Life is not good in this moment of the psalmist's life. And this was his reaction. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. And then he says, be still and know that I am God. Doesn't mean that you're no longer scared. Doesn't mean that you're no longer worried. Really doesn't even mean anything will change. It simply places the focus on where it should be. Off of me, off of my circumstance, and on to Christ. If you're walking through life without Christ, it's time to not do that any longer. Because no one was created to endure life without him. Put your trust in him. Embrace him today. Accept his payment for your sin and ask him to save you. Let Christ take the lead in your life. What Paul knew, what David knew in their godly wisdom was this. At some point, my strength ends. Your strength ends. Everybody's strength ends. And when it does, I have no hope without a strength greater than my own. So let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for our time together. Thank you for a new season that you bring in these summer months of our calendar year. And regardless of what season each of us find ourselves in in life, you are with us. And we can take heart and know that regardless of what comes into our lives, when we've put our faith in your son, Jesus, his strength can help us endure everything. Let us put aside pride and let us rely on you and your strength. God, for those who may not know your son, Jesus, I pray that they would choose to embrace him today so that they're no longer walking through life with their strength alone. There's there's so much more. There's something better for all of us. So encourage us. 
continue to help us navigate the, the seasons of, of our lives, the season that our country is in, our world is in, and we submit our will to your will. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.